We're going to spend, Lord willing, the next few weeks looking at the book of Acts and specifically the 16th chapter. But before we turn there, I want to encourage you to turn back to the passage we read a few moments ago in Philippians chapter 1. And particularly, I want to call your attention to verse 6 again. Philippians 1, 6. Paul writes, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Father, pray that you'd speak to us from this passage and from Acts 16 this morning, that you would give us confidence of your work in us and give us some idea of how you work and, and what you're working and why you're working in your people. So speak to us. Help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? God has not said that he would leave us as orphans only half grown to maturity, but that he will perfect the work he's begun. He will complete the work he's begun. He will make us like his son. We read that last week in Romans 8, didn't we? That God has predestined us to become conformed to the image of his son. And here in Philippians 1.6, Paul reminds us that God will complete that work. That God, if he's begun that work, will perfect it. He will fit us for heaven. But there's something about Philippians 1.6 that we sometimes forget, at least I do. Namely, that it was written, not first of all to me or to you, but to the Philippians, to the church in the city at Philippi. Isn't that what we read in verse 1? Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And we love Philippians 1.6, and we often perhaps quote it, some of us, and apply it immediately and directly to ourselves, and that's not wrong. This passage does apply to us, or it wouldn't have been given to us in the Scriptures. But I just want you to notice, first of all, that Paul wrote it, first of all, to the saints in Philippi. Paul and Timothy, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, in Philippi, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul wrote this to the Philippians, and I want to point out to you that Paul saw it happen. At least he saw God beginning the good work as he describes it here. Paul knew these people. Paul had been the one to bring the gospel to these people. And so for Paul, the phrase, he who began a good work in you, Philippians, was filled with meaning. It wasn't just a sort of a general statement about God's work, though it is that. But in this case, it was even more than that. There were names and faces attached to Paul's confidence here in verse 6. Paul knew these people's stories. He knew how God had begun a good work in Philippi and in many of the individual saints there. And so thinking about that, I thought it would be good for us to know 
how God began that good work in Philippi, how God began in some of the individual saints there his good work. And the answer to how God did that we find over in Acts chapter 16, where Lord willing will spend the next few Sundays. So if you'll turn back to Acts 16, we're going to look this morning particularly at verses 1 through 12, which will explain to us how Paul ever got to Philippi with the gospel in the first place. Acts 16, 1 through 12. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. Now there's the explanation of how Paul and Timothy and Luke, who wrote this uh, book of Acts and who you see begins to include himself in the sentences beginning in verse 10. Here's an explanation how, how they got to Philippi and the rest of the chapter will explain what happened when they got there and we'll see that in the weeks ahead if the Lord is willing. We're going to see in this chapter some remarkable acts of God, some amazing things that happened, some unique conversions to Christ here in Acts chapter 16. When Paul and Timothy and Luke arrived there, God began to work marvelously. But what we're seeing here in verses 1 through 12 is that that good work began before they ever got to Philippi. Before the Philippians had ever thought about Jesus, and even before Paul had thought about the Philippians, God had thought about the Philippians. God was moving. God was beginning his good work there before anyone else had even thought about it. And I want us this morning to consider that, to consider God's actions before anyone else was thinking about Philippi or anyone in Philippi was thinking about Jesus. I want us to consider God's actions to begin a good work in them before they even realized it. And I want us to do it under four headings this morning. I want to notice four elements of God's good work as he began it. In Philippi, And as we go along, I want to suggest to you that these things we'll notice about God's work in Philippi will be true wherever God is doing his good saving work. So four things. First of all, I want you to notice that 
this good work of God in Philippi began with a preacher. God's good work in Philippi began with a preacher. Actually, two preachers. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy. Before anyone in Philippi had the slightest notions about Jesus, God was preparing preachers for them. Now, we read about Timothy's preparation here in chapter 16, didn't we? In verses 1, 2, and 3. A disciple was there in Lystra named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And there's a lot in that sentence. Uh, And when we compare it with some of the things Paul said to Timothy in a letter directly to him, what we realize is that God was preparing this young man in the quiet of his hometown, in relative obscurity, with a godly mother. God was preparing Timothy to be a preacher of the gospel. God was molding his habits. God was molding his theology probably mainly through his mother and then through the church there. God was molding his character in verse 2 so that he was well spoken of by the brethren so that when Paul came through town, Timothy would be the perfect assistant for Paul to take with him on his journeys that would eventually lead him to Philippi. Just in his home, just in his normal daily routine in a small, probably small church, God was molding Timothy. And I just want to encourage you, mothers and fathers and church family, that God may be molding just such a boy or boys under our roofs as well. It's an amazing thing. Before the Philippians had ever thought of Jesus, God was molding this man, Timothy, on the other side of the body of water, who had probably never thought in his life about Philippi, and yet God is molding him and preparing him to send him there. Isn't that good of God? Well, not only Timothy was God preparing, but Paul as well. Of course, at this point in the book of Acts, Paul is well established as a missionary. He is well known in the churches. But that wasn't always so, was it? Paul wasn't born a man of God. Paul wasn't born a missionary. In fact, if we just would go back seven chapters or so into Acts 9, we would remember that Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a persecutor of God's church, and he was on his way to do more of his persecuting when Jesus met him on the road in a flash of light and, as it were, knocked him off of his high horse and humbled him and brought him to a place of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. It was an amazing turnabout in the Apostle Paul. And I want to suggest to you that one of the reasons God did that was not only so that we would have so many of the books of the New Testament, was not only so that we would have that amazing story of God saving Paul and be encouraged that God can do that with people that we know who seem so far gone. Those things are true. But another reason God knocked Paul off his horse that day, now coming back to my main point, is because he wanted Paul to go to Philippi with the gospel. Isn't that so? God knew when he knocked Paul off his high horse that he was going to send him to Philippi, and he knocked him off of that high horse precisely so that he could send him to Philippi. And God always works that way. And that adds a whole new layer of meaning 
to this phrase that we began with, he who began a good work in you. God didn't begin the work in Philippi and on behalf of Philippi just when Paul and Timothy arrived there in Acts 16, 12. No, no. Way before that, God was at work molding a young man named Timothy, breaking and shaking up and changing a hard-hearted man named Saul, whom we know better as Paul. God was working well before these men ever arrived in Philippi, and he was doing it precisely because he had his eyes and his heart set on the people there and wanted to save them. And I want to say to you that the same thing is true of you. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to the place where you have repented of your sins and you know that his sinless life and his death on your behalf and his resurrection are your only hope to be right with God? If you do, you can claim Philippians 1.6 for yourself, that he who began that good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But I want you to remember that Though you may think of the beginnings of God's good work in you in terms of the hour that you first believed or in terms of the first time that someone ever shared Jesus with you or you may think of the beginning of God's good work in you in terms of the the parents or the Sunday school teachers or the pastor that nurtured you in the faith since before you can remember. And it's important to think back to those early days when you began to recognize the good work that God was doing. But what we're learning here in Acts 16, 1 through 12, is that God's good work on your behalf began way before you began to recognize what He was doing. Perhaps before you were born, God was preparing the instrument or instruments he would use to bring the gospel to you, to bring you to faith. And, you know, before they were born, God was preparing someone to bring the gospel to them. And before they were born, God was preparing someone and we could go back to the beginning of time. It's amazing when we stop and think of the amazing web of connections and providences that God has brought together just to bring the gospel to one individual like ourselves. It's amazing to me. We could constantly go back and say, you know, if this person hadn't come to Christ in this situation, then I wouldn't have heard the gospel. Or if that person hadn't actually moved into that neighborhood, I may never have heard the gospel. And when we think about all that God brought together just for our one tiny little life to be rescued and redeemed by Jesus, we should marvel. We should absolutely marvel. God's good work in Philippi began with God preparing a preacher, actually two preachers, to send them. And before that, there was another preacher that went to them. And before that, there was another providence of God and so on. But secondly, I want you to see that the good work of God in Philippi began with a door. God's good work in Philippi began with a door. Actually, a series of doors had either to close or to open so that Paul and Timothy would end up in Philippi. Isn't that what we read in verses 6 through 9? They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Phrygia and Galatia make up what was called Asia. And so what 
Luke is saying as they passed through those places. They didn't stop in Phrygia and Galatia. They passed through because God had forbidden them to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Closed doors and open doors are what got them to Macedonia, the leading city or a leading city of which was Philippi. Paul, we see here, wasn't actually trying to get to Philippi, was he? If we look at verse 6, it seems that he initially hoped to go to Asia. He went to Phrygia, he went to Galatia, hoping to preach the gospel there, modern-day Turkey. But for some reason, as we read in verse 6, the Holy Spirit forbid them to speak there. And so then they went on to Mysia, thinking that they would speak there. But verse 7, after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. That's a strange series of events, isn't it? Here are two faithful men whom God has prepared and set apart to preach the gospel. He's been preparing them for years, and now it's time for them to do it. And they want to do it. They're not like Jonah. They want to go, and they want to preach Jesus to people, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them. That boggles the mind, doesn't it? It's a reminder of the sovereignty of God, even in matters of of salvation. God saves whom he wills. He sends the gospel where he wills and when he wills. But we're still tempted to say, why? Why not Asia? Why not Galatia and Phrygia? Why not Bithynia, Lord? Why wouldn't you let them preach there? We don't know all the answers, but one of the answers seems to come in verses 9 and 10, doesn't it? God closed the doors in Asia and in Bithynia because he was opening a door in Macedonia and specifically in the leading city of Philippi. Verse 10, God closed certain doors and opened other doors so that the people of Philippi would have the good work begun in them. And I want to suggest to you again that similar things were happening as God brought the gospel to you. Doors were closing and doors were opening that you never knew about so that the gospel would come to you. Why did that pastor come to your little church and not some other little church? Why were you born into that particular family that nurtured you in the gospel and not that other family? Why did the missionaries come to your tribe and your country and not some other country when they came? Why... Were you there for that particular sermon that God used to awaken you? You could have been a thousand other places. Why did God give you that particular friend who shared the gospel to you? If you could go back and see what we see here in Acts 16, you would see that God was closing doors and God was opening doors to get you to the right place at the right time with the right person and the right words from Scripture so that you would come to faith. The reason why the gospel came to you is the same as we see here in verses 6 through 9. As he'd done with the Philippians, God had set his sights on you. God had set his affection on you. And he began opening and closing doors to get you and the preacher, not necessarily a preacher that stands in a pulpit, but whoever shared the gospel with you to get you together at the right time. 
It probably wasn't as dramatic as it was in Acts 16. It probably didn't have to do with a miraculous vision like we see here, but it was God's hand just the same. God does miraculous things and God does mundane things, but God's the one whose hand moves them both, isn't it? God's the one whose hand closes and opens doors, whether the doors open miraculously or just they seem to happen by happenstance. And again, I say we should marvel at this. First, at the wisdom of God, that he knew exactly which doors to shut and which doors to open. He knew exactly how to weave the tapestry together to get you to Christ. And not only the wisdom of God, but we should marvel at the love of God. That he cared enough for you and he cared enough for me to do it. To shut the doors and open the doors so that we would come to Christ. So then the good work of God in Philippi began with a preacher that God prepared. It began with a series of doors that God closed and opened. All of this before the Philippians ever had a thought that God in Christ was pursuing them. Thirdly, I want you to notice that the good work of God in Philippi began with obedience. The good work of God in Philippi began with obedience. We focus so far on what God did by his providence to get the gospel to Philippi by the right people at the right time. But verses 10 through 12 remind us that the beginning of God's work there had a human element to it as well. God, yes, set apart preachers for himself. God, yes, opened and closed the right doors. But Paul and Timothy had to obey God's call and they had to walk through those doors, didn't they? And in verses 10 through 12, we see that they did just that. When he, Paul, had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. Just stop there for a minute. He has this vision, a man saying, come over and help us. He already knows that God has closed these other doors. And so when he has the vision, immediately he wakes up and begins seeking to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the day following to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. Immediately, They sought to go into Macedonia. They concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel to them, and they ran a straight course to get there as soon as possible. And then they got to the next place the very next day, and from there to Philippi, all of it in a hurry. God had molded them. God had prepared them. God had opened the door, but now they had to go through it, and they ran a straight course to make sure they did it. Now, that may seem obvious to us. Well, Paul had this amazing dream. Of course, he obeyed the dream. He went where God led. But how many times do we know what God wants us to do and where God wants us to go and what God wants us to speak and we fail to do it? It's not as simple as just saying, well, you know, Paul, of course, Paul did it. Paul was a man with a nature just like yours. Paul could have shrunk back. Paul could have been afraid. Paul could have been nervous. Paul could have found other things to do, but he didn't. God nudges us by the Holy Spirit sometimes that we need to push on a certain door for the sake of the gospel. 
Sometimes God just patently opens a door for us and drops an opportunity for the gospel into our laps. But do we always go through the door? That's the question. Now, let's be clear. God's hand is not so short that it cannot save. God's hand, God's power is not so short that it cannot save without Paul or Timothy. God's hand is not so short that he couldn't have gotten the gospel to Philippi even if Paul and Timothy had not obeyed the vision and gone through the door. Nor is his hand so short that any of his chosen people will end up in hell because you or I as individuals fail at an opportunity or don't go through an open door. Salvation is of the Lord, not of the preacher. And yet, the reality is that God gets the gospel to Philippi and to China and to Pleasant Ridge and to the next cubicle in your office through obedience. Someone must obey. Someone must walk through the door. Someone must go. God gets the gospel where he gets the gospel through human obedience. That's what we find in verses 10 through 12, isn't it? Obedience was crucial to the beginning of the good work in Philippi. And yet Paul could say, he who began a good work in you, and not be talking about Paul who obeyed, but be talking about God. Paul still says, yes, we obeyed, but God's the one who began the work. God's the one who called us. God's the one who opened the doors. But yes, we had to go through them. And we need to take that to heart. Obedience was crucial to the beginning of God's good work in Philippi. Someone obeyed God in order to bring the good news to them. Someone obeyed God in order to bring the good news to you. And someone must obey God. You must obey God. I must obey God if the good news is going to go to others. You may not have a vivid dream like Paul had in verse 9. In fact, I suggest to you that you probably won't and that you shouldn't wait for one. But God will open doors for you in other ways. He may open the door to certain individuals in your sphere of influence. Maybe it's in a chat room. Maybe it's in your office. Maybe it's through a letter that you'll write. Maybe it's someone in your family. But God will open doors for you to speak of Jesus. So that he will begin a good work in those people. Maybe it's not just a few individuals. Maybe for some in this room, God will open a door to a whole unreached people group or city like he did with Paul and Timothy in Philippi. But however big or small the task, however big the opening seems to be or however small... We must be like Paul and Timothy in verses 6 through 7, eager to preach the gospel and ready to preach the gospel. And then we must be like them in verses 10 through 12, obedient when God opens the door for the gospel. This is how God's plan invariably works. This is how his good work in individual lives always begins. His good gospel work always includes the obedience of one or other of his servants. Now let me summarize what we've said so far. As in Philippi, God's good work in salvation in our lives begins with a preacher or preachers 
whom God has prepared. Maybe they're a preacher who stands behind a pulpit. Maybe they're a dad or a mom. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. But someone who proclaims the gospel to us. That's always the case. And God is the one who sent them. And his good work in us, as in Philippi, always begins with doors. Some of them shut, some of them open, so that the gospel comes to us at the right place, at the right time, through the right person, and God opens our hearts and eyes to see and believe. And God's good work of salvation in our lives always includes obedience. Someone not only molded and prepared by God to walk through the door, but someone obedient to actually do it. But having said all of that, we haven't yet said the most important thing that needs saying about God's good work in Acts 16, 1 through 12. And so now let me help you to see the most important aspect of God's good work. And I want you to notice it in verse 10. When we had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. That's the most important thing. God's calling of Paul and Timothy and their obedience to go through the doors that he opened is wonderful. But all of that would have been for nothing if they would had no gospel to preach when they got there. And so the final thing, the most important thing this morning is that God's good work in Philippi began with God's gospel. It began with the gospel. And the gospel began long before Paul and Timothy ever arrived in Philippi. The gospel and the events of the gospel took place long before God opened Lydia's heart to believe the things that Paul spoke, as we'll see next week. The gospel took place long before Paul's dream or even his calling into the ministry. God had begun his good work on behalf of the Philippians and on our behalf in eternity past. When he determined that through what we call the gospel, he would save fallen, sinful creatures. God's good work began in Philippi when in the fullness of time he sent forth his son. Born of a woman, yet conceived of the Holy Spirit, fully God and fully man in one unique person. That's the gospel that Paul went to preach. And this Son of God, Jesus, went everywhere doing good and healing all who were sick. He taught with authority and not as the scribes. He was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And therefore, having no sin of his own, he was able to bear our sins in his body on the tree. And on the third day, he was demonstrated to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And he promised that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel, verse 10, that Paul determined to preach when he got into the city of Philippi in the district of Macedonia. That was the beginning of God's good saving work. Not in the preacher whom God molded to preach the gospel. 
not even in the Spirit's working with the gospel so that the people's hearts believed in Acts 16, the beginning of God's work in Philippi, and yes, in you and in me as well, is in the gospel, is in something that happened 2,000 years ago and that was prepared and planned in eternity past through the life, death, and resurrection of God's own Son. That's the beginning of the work. Why did God do that? Why did God send His Son? Well, it's the same answer as we said about why God knocked Paul off of his horse, isn't it? Why God was preparing Timothy in the quiet of his home. Why was God doing that? Because He wanted them to take the gospel to Philippi. Why was God sending His Son into the world? Because way back then in eternity past when He planned that, He had set His sights on you. He was thinking of you. He was thinking of me. He was loving us. And He, in eternity past, began this good work. And He, 2,000 years ago, in the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, executed this good work for us at the cost of His own dear Son. That's the beginning of the good work. And if God began this good work at the cost of his own dear son, then he will perfect it until his son comes again.